I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, um, listen, I, uh, this is, there's going to be, we're going to go, go right into like some, some real, real talk Friday, uh, when we get to our guest today and I don't mean to make it real talk Friday in the, in the first bit, you know, I want to keep things kind of like light and fluffy, but I feel like a piece of shit. I have a lung infection, so let's try to keep this recording tight. Um, but. This did cheer me up. We got a letter. I, was, I wasn't sure if you were talking to us yeah, or it, if we were recording. I was like, oh, he must. we must not be recording since he just said, let's keep it tight uh, no, to the we, whole audience. No, we are recording. And I want to start the recording with a, we got a letter. We got a letter. Again, if you want to send us letters, uh, you can do so. Letters at sickboypodcast.com. Uh, we got a letter from Amy. And this is touching on the eargasm quandary that um, I had broached with all of you last week. <laughs> Such a quandary. <laughs> now, I'll just, I'll, I'll go into it. There's that we, <clears throat> uh, we're not going to get any resolution here, but uh, a- Amy does have something to add. Hey guys, I have a question to add if you find a smart person doctor to explain if there is a link between ear stimulation and orgasms. Whenever I dip my toes or step in really cold water, I immediately feel it down below and get the sensation that I need to pee. Even weirder, whenever I pick a scab off, which happens quite often due to softball sliding injuries, I get the exact same sensation of needing to pee. So no feeling of orgasm as such, but a definite link between cold water and my hoo-ha and picking scabs in my hoo-ha. I was going to say it would be weird if you f- if picking scabs made you feel like you wanted to have an orgasm. There like are, that would be I think it's just that, I think it's just a intense. Yeah. I, I think we I think we're we're thinking about we're our heads go to like oh like people got like people are into some interesting shit. No, it's not but that. I, I, I think, think it's, it's just like an, it's, it's a nerve I think thing. the answer is going to be really boring and yeah. it's going to be like, "Oh, they've got they've uh, got no, I don't nerves. Think it, they've got more nerves in that place and that makes them that that and well, you know the, the nerves run through But you a think that's area a, that's you think it. that's a boring answer? I think that's a fascinating answer. <laughs> well, 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 I think it's uh, kind of boring cuz it's kind of expected. Mel right. Mel on our in in our uh, Discord on Discord in our Patreon community, she said that, you know, she was like, I, I don't know much about this. I haven't really looked into it, but it could possibly have something to do with the vagus nerve. Mm. And mm. to me, that would... Uh, vagus nerve makes everybody Never mind. Come. I'm not even going to go into it. Yeah, what happens I, there stays there. <laughs> it would just be totally bro science if I was to, uh, to elaborate 
on that any further. So I'm just going to leave it right there. I'd but, really like to know <laughs> what your thoughts are, Bri. It, it probably has to do with the vagus nerve. That's what I'm saying. Because like, you probably, know, the vagus nerve is probably also has to do with mercury being in retrograde. And, mm-hmm. you know, that could just make a whole, whole <clears throat> lot of shit go off you know, in your I body. Think people, I think people underestimate how much the, the position of the planets has to do with how we come. <laughs> oh my so, god. Oh my god. Um <laughs> so Amy, thank you for your letter and uh and of course we will keep all of you in the loop if we if we ever hear back from a smart person doctor or a uh a medical doctor or any kind of doctor for that matter. Um uh, although I feel like this is, this is, kind, of, this, this is kind of like a doc, this is like a, a question for Doctor Who. Like I I feel like this is just <laughs> there's only one person who can figure this out and it's that time traveling uh trickster. Um, or the or or it could be house. You know, yeah. house might have the answer to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. this is a Doctor House fucking issue, isn't it? <laughs> it totally. House, is. You gotta help me, man. I come every time I touch my belly button. <laughs> hey, that's me. I yeah. need that answer. Yeah, right, right. Uh uh, you just said bro science, Bri. And um I have a feeling, you know, bro science is uh is a stupid term. And um and I think I think bro science has has the ability to uh, do a lot of harm, and I think this is a this is a story where quote unquote bro science definitely failed this person. Oh no! Uh, <clears throat> this this is uh, this is coming from Global News, but this was in a lot of news outlets uh, from last week. Magic mushrooms grew in man's blood. After he injected them as a tea. Okay, get this. Oh, man. That's really metal, though. That's pretty hardcore. <laughs> that, that is, is as hardcore metal. as it gets. And it gets I even kind more of hardcore when you get the fucking details of what's going on. So this guy, this U.S. man, was reportedly hospitalized with organ failure after he injected himself with a tea made from psychedelic mushrooms. Now, oftentimes <clears throat> when you take mushrooms, you, you know, Typically, you take a handful of mushrooms and you eat them, psilocybin mushrooms. But you can make tea as well, which is like really, it's a really fun way to get, um, to get just chucked Man, into the deep end of, of, a, of a real fun trip. Really uh, fast. But, uh, this guy I, I feel like tea, this guy, I feel and like then, he and, and then injected mixed, it into his, I, into his veins. I feel like he mixed up his drugs. Yeah. You know, like, well, I feel like, I feel like he, maybe he, do you think that he had a prior habit to, uh, using needles to inject other drugs I, into his body, and I, he was like, "Hey, maybe this will work too." I, because is yeah. he butt chugging alcohol? Is he is he, in, is he injecting yeah. burger fat I, I, into his yeah, arteries? Yeah. Like what? I I would say this is probably not this gentleman's uh, first foray into injecting drugs, but uh, probably hit. So you know, he he probably thought, "Hey, it worked with heroin. Must it must be a real fucking good time with mushrooms." Uh, the unusual and dangerous episode is described in a case report slated to appear in the January edition of the Journal of the a- a- Academy of Consultation Liaison Psychiatry. The unidentified patient, 30, ultimately did survive. Doctors say that the patient had tried to use the so-called magic mushrooms as an alternative treatment for his bipolar disorder. Probably not a good idea. After skipping mm. his usual course of medications, according to reports. According to the case report reviewed by Insider, the unidentified man made a tea out of some mushrooms. He then ran it through a filter 
and injected it into his body. He fell ill a few days later and showed symptoms of jaundice, diarrhea, fatigue, and nausea. He also vomited blood. So this is it's just oh. going way downhill. God, Dude, I'm I'm imagining like you know you know when you you hear that uh, those like old wives tales about uh, about putting like eating a watermelon seed and then a watermelon grows mm-hmm. in your body. Mm-hmm. I kind of imagine that with the spores being in, like mushroom spores. It's like a fungus growing. If you inject that into your listen, blood, like there's going to be little mushrooms growing in your in your blood. That's not this, a Brian. good idea. They also conducted a blood test and were shocked by what they found. The pulverized mushrooms had begun sprouting in the darkness of the man's bloodstream. Oh, dude, yeah. He literally uh, had he literally had fucking psychedelic mushrooms growing in his body. I mean, curiosity, oh. man. It's just like curiosity. I mean, like mushrooms are more Oof. than good enough when you eat them. Yeah, right. And, uh, yeah. But, you know, you get curious and you think, oh, I wonder what that would do. Yeah. But then could he, like, drink his own blood and start tripping? And also, did he even did he have a good trip? Did he trip? Or did, he, did it well, just not work? I, and he was like, a, question. a few days later, question. he didn't feel I'm, good. I'm going to say, uh, uh, fuck, I don't know. I'm going to say a little bit of bro, <laughs> bro science. science. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say, without a, without a doubt, he fucking tripped. He, 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 yeah. he Absolutely. Uh, it says here, the man's family rushed him to a Nebraska hospital, but he was too confused to answer the doctor's questions about itself. <laughs> he was... Well, I would too if I was turning into a mushroom. Yeah, you're turning <laughs> yeah. into some like Cubensis, uh, uh, like just just big old caps. You're just growing caps out of your Man, ears and stems out of your idea. toes. I hate the idea of oh. things growing inside now, of you. And it also <laughs> makes me think, think of like those worms that grow inside of people Whoop. and uh, and, nope. and this is Mm-mm. this is um probably in the same in the same like the worms are, as that for me the, yeah the worms are a step above i would say but yeah i think you're, only it's slightly in, it's, it's in the same trajectory jerry you said at the beginning of that it was when you were talking about bryce bro science at the beginning i had a thought and then it, it went in a very different direction i completely forgot about it but now i'm back i argue that bro science is a net positive <laughs> Don't we just call that men's health now? <laughs> bro, bro science is just men's health. So, so, so I, I that think... That was a good joke. I think... I mean, we're, we're, partial to, we're partial to a bit of bro science every now and again. Actually, very frequently. But the reason I argue it's a net positive is, at least with us, and hopefully with everybody else, or at least a good chunk of everybody else, when we do bro science... It leads us to look up the real science, <laughs> which then ends up teaching us how far from the truth we may have been. And sometimes we actually get kind of close. I, I guess hey. it depends on which version of the bro scientific method you you approach your bro scientific research with. Right. Because right. like right with there. our methodology, mm-hmm. we first come to our hypothesis Mm-hmm. Via bro science. What does that and word then, even mean? Uh, hypothesis. What? What is It's a bro hypothesis. It's, like, it's, it's yes, like you're coming yeah. up with your your best guess <laughs> at, at what's going to happen. Yeah, and, that's your and best. It's your best. It's your bro. It's your bro's best. It's your bro's best guess. Yeah, your hypothesis <laughs> is like how. What's the best way to get high? Is it injecting? <laughs> yeah. Is it smoking? Is it putting it up my butt? Is yeah. it eating it? <laughs> yeah. Is it putting it in my ear? Well, bro, see, let, bro, what do you think? I, the, I do. I do want to say. I think there there's a good point to that, Lauren. Which is, you know, we've talked about this a number of times on the show that um, uh, psilocybin mushrooms are, are they are more widely being 
studied and and even uh, in some cases used for therapy. Um, we've spoke to uh, someone who actually used it uh, as a as a form of therapy for dealing with um, the you know the anxiety uh, anxiety from their, anxiety their, from their in, yeah their, <laughs> of, of their in, impending death. Uh, someone who had terminal cancer. We've spoken to a doctor who has you know been a part of studying it as something to alleviate, you know, anxiety and depression. And, and so it's, it's becoming it it inevitably, I I think it's, it's going to, whether, whether it kind of stays more in that medical lane than, than we've seen with like the popularity of, of like the legalization of marijuana. And what I mean by that, by popularization, like the, how popularization is that like, you know, when when weed became legal here in Canada, it's like your grandma probably never touched the shit in her life. But now that it's okay to buy it, she's like, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go get some edibles. And like that's a really like common thing now. It's like my you know, my mom doesn't do weed, but like my mom was like, Oh, it's legal. Like I guess I'll I guess it's okay for me to do it now. And so you know, we might be coming to a point where we see this a very similar thing with with mushrooms. Um, and if that's the case, just like with marijuana, there needs to be public education around how to properly use it. Right. Like Mm -hmm. if you have people who have no fucking clue, I mean, you know, I don't want to pass judgment, but this Nebraska fella, um, (laughs) Oh, oh, I I like, yeah, you know, I, I, I don't, I, I don't, I, I don't know. Maybe he didn't know. Maybe, he, you know, he, he, it's also saying that he was really struggling with his mental health and bipolar. And so, you know, maybe he was just in a, in a completely like over the top manic state and didn't know what the fuck mm-hmm. he was doing. But, um, you know, it, it, I think it is, it, it, it does, it does kind of offer a bit of a glimpse into how important it is to have public awareness as to how to properly dose yourself with, and it starts something with it like not being a, something that lands you in jail. <laughs> like, yes, you yeah, know? exactly. Like, yeah, because yeah. none of that shit can even happen. And when in, in a when, lot of places, you know, you can't advertise. Like, you can't you can't put that information out there, or at least it's taboo to put it out there. And yeah. it's and it's just not widely available for that reason. So yeah. well, we're talking. We're talking. You guys are talking about harm reduction. Basically, like yeah. if yeah, it, totally. it's about proper education around it, but first, no, just throw you, them in jail and make it and illegal. that'll fix the problem for sure. <laughs> so, uh, but also ed- education about like what it actually does do, though. Like mm-hmm. I was really misinformed about about psychedelics and those types of drugs when I was growing up, like in Texas. It'll like, make your in, brain in the US bleed, as well. man. Yeah, like I remember hearing stories, like this one story about this guy that like thought he was an orange when he was doing psychedelics and tried to peel yes. his skin off, and like this yeah. other guy that like thought he could fly and would jump off a building. And if you did that, you'll do weird shit like that too. I heard those stories too. Yeah. yeah, So it's important to educate people properly as to, you know, the, the actual effects of the drug. Well, let's, uh, so I'm, what a perfect segue because (laughs) in, in having seen that, uh, that article title, the magic mushrooms grew in some poor man's body, uh, later, later that day while I was trolling Reddit, um, there was a, a post that someone had put up from uh, from SciPost.org uh, about a study about the effects of psilocybin. And I thought this to be pretty fascinating. Um, 
now there's obviously a lot more that needs to go into the study, but it was just something that I thought was kind of kind of curious that this popped up. So this was from last week. Uh, again, SciPost from Eric Dolan. Psilocybin produces an immunology-related genetic response in the prefrontal, prefrontal cortex of pig brains. Psilocybin does not appear to severely impact gene expression, according to a new study published in European Neuropsychopharmacology. That is such a fucking long word. That is a long word. Neuropsychopharmacology. But the psychedelic substance, which is found in magic mushrooms, might produce lasting changes to the expression of a few immune-related genes in the brain. Quote, it is really intriguing that just a single psychedelic dose of psilocybin has such profound, long-lasting effects on people's personality and mood. We wanted to understand the mechanism behind this effect because it could be key to understanding the drug's effects in general, said uh, study author Gitmus Knudsen, a professor at the University of Copenhagen and chair of the Neurobiology Research Unit at Grigspjokdalet. I think you nailed that. (laughs) (laughs) In the study which examined the brain tissue from pigs... The researchers first conducted tests to establish the proper dose to produce psychoactive effects in the animals. Pigs were used because their brains are automatically similar to the brains of humans. Now, uh, if, Man, if Kyla is listening to this podcast, she's going to want to put on her earmuffs right about um, now. Guys, guys, how do you think they All you vegans out there. How do you think they determined how hard the pigs were tripping? Because like they're trying to determine <laughs> the dose and they're like, yeah, this one looks like yeah. it's having a pretty fucking intense trip right now. Yeah. I think we're going to go with three grams. I, I, I would bump. I, I Honestly, I, I like the thought of it kind of bums me out a bit. Guys, um, guys I want to say right now, too, by the way, I spoke to uh, our patron, Hannah, who um, reached out to me a couple weeks ago. We had this amazing chat yesterday, and I and the reason why I bring bring this up on the podcast is because I think that we should have her as a feel good Friday guest because she is uh, she was an animal technician and works in a research lab around the animal ethics of how you use mice in mm. research, and so like she focuses on like getting it's pretty fascinating. Uh, like continuity and results based yeah. on like how hardcore you fuck with the mice. Yeah. It's yeah. Really <laughs> interesting. A friend of mine st- did a lot of stuff. Um, she was going to school studying the heart and would uh, like all of her studies surrounded the, like the, the heart of rabbits. And we had to talk mm-hmm. about, she yeah. kind of gave me the lowdown on how that. that all goes down. And I was like, oh, <gasps> no, <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> spoiler, it's a bummer. Uh, it sounds delicious. Newtson and her colleagues then administered a psychoactive dose of psilocybin to 12 pigs while a separate group of 12 pigs received inert saline injections. So, so I, here's the other thing is I'm pretty sure they're injecting them with uh, psilocybin, which might just we just found out we just found out that guy got fucking high as shit Uh, hey you know what that's where he found out about it you know what or or he did it and he has now inadvertently saved the lives lives of hundreds of mice because they just went oh that guy did it it was really not fucking good let's move on to to do this yeah no point to do this on the mice let's move on to something else Uh, half of the pigs were euthanized one day after the administration of psilocybin while the rest were euthanized (sighs) one week later an analysis of prefrontal cortex tissue revealed that 19 genes were differentially expressed one day after psilocybin administration, but only three genes were differentially ad- expressed in the brain tissue one week later. Quote, this observation was unexpected given the profound and lasting effects that have been observed after a single dose of psilocybin, the researchers said. 
Knudsen told SciPost that there were, quote, surprisingly few changes to be observed in the brain 24 hours and seven days after a single dose of psilocybin, unquote. So they're saying that they're saying that they they in other research or in like broader research, it seems like taking psilocybin has a profound and long lasting effect like we saw with Thomas and like we know ourselves. Yeah. yeah. And but when you look at the gene expression, it really is very short lived. Yeah. The actual gene expression is causing some change. With the exception of those three genes that they mentioned were still still had different expressions a week later. That's right. Immune related genes constituted the largest group of genes impacted one week after psilocybin administration, suggesting that the long lasting effects of the psychedelic substance might be related to neuroinflammation. So here's where the study surprised them. Quote, neuroinflammation is now recognized as a key player in psychiatric diseases such as depression with positive outcomes of treatment with anti-inflammatory compounds, the researchers wrote. Scientists proposed in 2018 that psychedelic substances act as an anti-inflammatory agents via the activation of the serotonin 2A receptor, which is known to play a key role in regulating immune function. But there's currently very little research establishing a link between psychedelic drugs and neuroinflammation. Knudsen and her colleagues caution that the ability of psilocybin to influence neuroinflammation remains to be further tested. In addition, we only looked at two time points and cannot say anything about changes that occur outside those time points, Newton said. The study, quote, this is the title of the study. I love fucking titles of studies. They're so on the nose. <laughs> Effects of a single dose of psilocybin on behavior brain 5-HT2A receptor occupancy and gene expression in the pig. Was authored by Specific. and then a, a whole bunch of people that authored it. That I, that I would read, but honestly, I tried to read it earlier and I was like, I can't I understand why you're not. And, and <laughs> is it just a bunch of Scandinavian? You know, names? I'll try it. I'll Any try of the words: Len, Lenne <laughs> Lungard Donovan, Jens Vilstrup <laughs> Johansson, Nidia Fernandez Ross, Elham Jabberi, Kristen Lynette. That's pretty good. That's a pretty pretty. Good. <laughs> Mike Bob Smith, Smith. <laughs> Steib Johansson, Bryce Ozine. Shohore is anade Navikas, Han der Mont Hansen and Git Moose Nudsen. <laughs> I do like Git Moose Nudsen. Yeah, so uh, Nudsen. So, uh, you know, there's still obviously a bunch of fucking. There's still a ton of fucking research that needs to be done on the hundred percent on the the effects. You know, whether they be positive or negative effects of of um psychedelics natural occurring psychedelics but like there you know there's obviously a bunch of like really positive stuff that is coming out uh, right uh at like a pretty pretty expansive rate and and so and and as science communicators we can only say that these are interesting results and yeah. that there seems to be these effects happening but you know it's only one study and you know we just need to keep looking into it that's right that's yeah, right. Brian's teasing a future future conversation that will come out in the future. Yeah, that's yeah. right. This yeah. will make more sense later. next Friday. Later. <laughs> uh so yeah, that was all really interesting stuff. I I I love I love seeing psilocybin in the news. Um kind of wish there was some more like LSD studies being going on, but 
Uh, it'll come. I mean, I it'll feel come. like that's a, I feel like that's a, uh, just like, just like, uh, psilocybin is a, is a, is a, is a, is a the natural next sort of step in yeah. the, in, in the conversation after, uh, cannabis is being widely legalized in North America. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like LSD is sort of, you know, once we go further with psilocybin, I feel like LSD will be, we'll start to have more and more. And yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. But I will say that, um, the thing that I love about psilocybin is that every time somebody says the word, I just think of silly psilocybin and certainly and, silly. And it just makes me like it that much more. You know, like if you think of it as silly psilocybin and, you take like a silly amount of it, then you kind of bro, act a little bit dude, silly. Dude, bro. I totally Don't you hear think you. so? Isn't yeah, that dude. It's I super totally do think so. It's actually totally, super adorable. I totally do think so. Oh, silly Sybin. Oh my God. But I can't say it that much because I have a little bit of a lisp. So what you just said, your hair is a personification of what you just said. Thanks. Yeah, it's There's great. There's so many times that I wish people could just see your hair when we're. <laughs> is that is that why you got a mushroom cut, Brian? <laughs> yeah, he's doing he's doing his yeah. best to he's doing because his best to avoid it looking like a mushroom cut today. Yeah, it looks like your head's like exploding. Whoa, really never mind. Like, <laughs> wow, that is very mushroom. <laughs> Guys, I can't wait till there's a video element to this show. There's a silly Simon haircut. Yeah. Coming, coming soon. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> all right. Well, this is uh, we're gonna get into uh, uh, something a little more, a little more real. Um, we speak to Doctor Madukar Pai, uh, and w- Doctor Pai is a is the Canadian Research Chair in Translational Epidemiology. Um, <clears throat> He does a lot of work at uh, the, the McGill International TB Center. He's actually the associate director. Uh, that's right, TB, as in tuberculosis. <coughs> that was a timely cough. <laughs> um, uh, and, and fully real. Um, you know what, guys? I really like tuberculosis because when I okay. say the word, I think of oh tubular. Oh, and I'm like, tuberculosis. And it. And it makes me think yeah. of like yeah, you definitely on a you definitely board. don't deserve all of the all the shit we give you. You don't. It must don't be so fun to be whatsoever. you if every word <laughs> that you read just has a fun little so fun to or it for so, you. Lauren, you are so right. So fun, you're so right. <laughs> or so dude, insufferable, bro, dude. You're so right. I didn't even say bro, dude, man, but at dude, all bro, in any of that stuff, man, dude. So uh, <clears throat> yeah. Anyway, we talked to Doctor Pie, uh, but we're going to be talking about. Uh, we get into a bunch of COVID uh, stuff, and and guys, when I hear COVID, uh, for fuck's I- sakes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have anything. I was just, yeah. Um, well, we have it in our Discord me. channel. We talk. We have a we have a Discord channel that we call that uh, I named Hovid because it's about online dating and just people sharing a uh, their weird online dating stories. It is so. my by far my favorite part of our Discord channel, and I love like all of the screenshots and the memes that are in there. It's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. It's a good vicarious living. It is sure. something. Uh, all right. Well, enjoy this conversation with Doctor Pi. I tried to try to intro him but um i guess you'll just hear what he has to say in the actual conversation and we'll see you (laughs) on the other side (laughs) 
this is this is going to be really fun because a little while back, Taylor, you had you had been mentioning how you wanted to talk to somebody about how COVID is having an effect on global health and and like other epidemics across the world. Well, today's your day, Taylor, because we are sitting down with uh, Dr. Madhukar Pai, who is the uh, Canadian Canada Ch- Research Chair in Translational Epidemiology, that is a mouthful, and Global Health and Associate Director at the McGill International TB Center. Does TB, does TB stand for tuberculosis? That's right. Okay, this, okay, this might be a really dumb question. But Dr. Pai, is tuberculosis still a thing? Oh, Have it's we, a uh, huge, it was the number one infectious killer of people until COVID arrived. Wow. Okay. So it is not, TB is not eradicated. Is that like a, is that a common uh, misconception or am I just a, an idiot? In, in uh, high income countries, people think TB has vanished and by and large it has. But in Canada, for example, the TB rates in the Inuit communities up north is 300 times higher than the rest of Canada. Wow. So Whoa. it's very much alive wow. in Canada, but primarily a problem in the indigenous communities and immigrants and refugees. That what, is a staggering number. What, what really causes? I, I, I don't know like anything about tuberculosis. I, when you hear the word, it sounds, it sounds bad. But le- I, like Jeremy, admittedly thought that it had, for the most part, been eradicated. But to hear it, like that's, that's a, a pretty mind-blowing statistic. 300% higher, 300 times greater is within the highest income, one of the highest income countries in the world. Mm. So in other words, TB thrives wherever there's poverty, wherever there's overcrowding, wherever the socioeconomic conditions are poor. Is is there a vaccination for tuberculosis and that's why we don't see it in high income countries or areas? No, I think most high income countries uh, manage to bring the incidence down by just development, socioeconomic development, better nutrition, better housing, better living conditions. Even before TB drugs came along, the, the incidence was already falling in mm-hmm. Europe and in North America. And so in North America and Europe, TB rates are overall quite low, but they're very high in subgroups that are still very vulnerable. Mm. And TB is caused by a bacterium and it's very much like COVID. It spreads airborne. So when somebody coughs, uh, sneezes, um, TB germs go into the air and then get breathed in by somebody else. But it's not as big uh, a rapidly transmitting pandemic threat like uh, influenza or COVID, but it's very much a respiratory infection, just like COVID-19. How, how bad, let's say um, Taylor, who is a pretty healthy individual. Um, and, you know, Taylor, you got a, you got a pretty like strong uh, physical activity regimen every day on your bike and you eat well. And uh, let's say Taylor goes out today and catches, uh, catches about a TB. How, how, what does that look like? Like how is, cause my grandfather, I believe I'm almost certain my grandfather way back in the day caught TB. And I remember him saying he like quarantined for like a, a staggering amount of time, you know, like, well, I guess at this point 
we've all quarantined for that amount of time. It was like <laughs> it's at, all been at, staggering. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> at the time you said like everybody. a month, and I was like, "That's crazy." <laughs> just, just for perspective, would, would you say back in the day your grandfather was a like a strapping young lad? He was. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was like a. He was like a. I feel he was everybody a, back in the day was <laughs> was some you, was was strapping in some regard. You kind of had to be. You kind of had to be, especially in a, in a, a small town, rural Nova or uh, Newfoundland. But so let's say Taylor gets it today. What what is what does TB look like for someone so, like? So, fascinating great question so my grandfather in india apparently died of tb2 uh, and in those days i'm talking about more than 80 years ago there was no medicine uh, at all now if taylor caught it we can cure him in six months flat with no problems at all so i'm not too worried about anybody developing tb today um, certainly not here in canada but i think our response to the bacterium depends a lot let's say all of us breathed in the bacteria it goes into our lung most of us, if we are healthy, we are not HIV infected, we are not immunocompromised, we will be able to fight the bacteria quite well and mm. keep it contained. And we call that latent tuberculosis. It's like dormant in the body. It's sleeping. Mm. Mm-hmm. And most people, 95% of people will fall into that category. But if you are older, if you are very young, if you have HIV, if you're taking medicines that make you immunocompromised, if you have cancer, if you have some types of risk factors, then the risk of developing TB is quite high. Mm, okay. So, so speaking then, let's, let's go back. Before, before COVID sort of shifted the entire landscape of, of the planet, um, what, what were the big global health um, issues that we were looking at. I, I take, I take it that, uh, TB is one. Um, were there, were there, were there other kind of like epidemics that, that were, um, that were, we as, as a, as a, as a planet were kind of struggling with that, um, folks who live in a high income country might not have been thinking about. And what, what are those? Excellent question. Areas so in of the high world income. of uh, infectious diseases and pandemics, uh, the big three, as we call it in global health, the big three is TB, HIV, AIDS, and malaria. Uh, of these three, HIV is the only one that I think most of us here in in, uh, in the high-income countries know anything about because we mm-hmm. know people around us who got HIV. But malaria is primarily a problem in sub-Saharan Africa. No country has a bigger problem than sub-Saharan Africa. And TB is mostly a problem in the low and middle income countries. So the the folks like us in high income countries have almost kind of forgotten about these big infectious plagues that kill Mm. millions of people somewhere else because Mm -hmm. we are more obsessed about our own issues here. And COVID, on the other hand, was the first real infectious threat Mm -hmm. that rattled us because it struck us close to our heart right here. And even the highest income countries have struggled with this pandemic, which is why I think infectious diseases are being discussed again. Vaccine programs are happening again because we've even forgotten what it means to mass vaccinate people. Mm -hmm. I mean, in the past, smallpox was eradicated, right? Influenza, the massive vaccine programs, but now highest income countries have found themselves very poorly prepared because there is no memory of these. The public health systems are not functioning well. They don't even know how to get vaccines out of the fridge into the arms of people here. So it's a a big memory lapse. I understand why that is, because high-income countries have kind of gotten over all these plagues in the past, and we were dealing with more with diseases of aging, like cancer, 
like diabetes, like stroke, like heart disease. So our attention is focused somewhere else. But suddenly now we realize we need the capacity to deal with epidemics. And then suddenly we also have learned that you can't just control epidemics in your own backyard. You have to worry about the whole world because what happens in Wuhan can right. come to Montreal, right? So we've learned a strong lesson that we are all interconnected and infectious diseases are a great reminder that we are all we are all together in this. So, so what has been the effect? I think it was, I think it was back in sometime in the fall, maybe October or somewhere around there, where I read an article in, I can't remember if it was in the New York Times or the Washington Post. Maybe it was. T- they were talking about COVID's effect on uh, the treatment of malaria, TB, and HIV around the world, and the effect that the massive attention that has been diverted to COVID and fighting COVID and, you know, everywhere on the globe, how that has affected, um, how that has affected the, the treatment, um, and containment of these, these three things around the globe. What has, what has been that impact when you see so many scientific resources being diverted to this, you know, obviously very important cause, but you know, things get left in its wake. What has been that, uh, what has that effect been? Um, really important question. So I've been totally stressed over this issue since March of last year. I wrote a piece in Forbes uh, in, in March or April of last year, warning my field, those of us working in TV, that this could be devastating for all the progress we've made. And similarly, people working in HIV and malaria have started ringing the alarm bells. So here is what we know. Before COVID, TB was affecting 10 million people every year and killing about 1.4 million people. That's before COVID, right? As of last year. Malaria was 230 million cases in 2019 with about half a million deaths due to malaria. HIV AIDS affected 38 million people living with HIV AIDS right now on the planet with about 700,000 deaths in 2019. All three diseases this year in 2020, sorry, last year in 2020 have already gotten worse because of COVID. Mm -hmm. Why is that? because many countries just stopped treating these conditions. They were too busy with COVID. They had lockdowns of the nature we had in Canada. And lockdowns were very brutally enforced. People couldn't even go anywhere for several weeks. And uh, supplies of medicine started dwindling. People were just afraid to seek care. And even when they did seek care, they didn't find clinics that were open to receive them. So the biggest disruptions have happened in TB, AIDS, and malaria. For example, in TB, we've already seen 50% fewer TB cases 2020 than what we were expecting to find, which means we should have found that many. We only found about half of them because people were missed. So Mm. they were mostly at home and not seeking care. And we expect 400,000 new additional deaths over and above the regular 1.4 million we were expecting to find during 2020. HIV is predicted to get worse by about... 123,000 to 290,000 additional infections during this pandemic period compared to what we were expecting to find. Malaria, a disruption of 50% of malaria treatment and bed nets are expected to result in about 100,000 additional deaths during 2020. All these are predictions because the data still haven't come in for 2020. We will get them in the coming months and we will know exactly what's happening. But the predictions are pretty bad because health systems have completely fallen apart during Mm -hmm. this crisis. Forget AIDS, TB and malaria. Even basic childhood vaccines 
were not delivered to to kids. Even right. measles vaccines, stuff that is like bread and butter for any low and middle income country, mm. even those have fallen by the wayside, and it's pretty devastating. And here in Canada, let's not forget, even in Canada, uh, routine surgeries have been cancelled. Mm-hmm. People with cancer haven't been screened. People with heart attacks have stayed at home. So the service disruptions are not just a problem in low and middle income countries. Right now, everybody's terrified to go to a hospital here. Yeah. Right? And hospitals mm. are full. Our ICUs are all chock full with COVID people. So if you and I needed uh, ICU care right now, we're going to struggle to get it. So mortality mm. due to other diseases has to go up. It cannot go down because we're just not able to have the bandwidth to manage all the additional morbidities and mortality that we normally see. Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. I, I think the the big question that this makes me ask, though, because like I hear you you saying all this, and it and it makes a ton of sense to me. Um, but like at the same time, we have to acknowledge the fact that we are experiencing this global pandemic. So, like the the burning question that I have is like, how do you balance? Like, how do you take into account all of these considerations? And and I'm I'm guessing from from your perspective as somebody who works um, in the field of tuberculosis, like what would you like to see? Is there a solution for how we pay attention to and and still keep front of mind or at least not put to the back of our mind the people who are who are living with tuberculosis or the people who may potentially be infected with tuberculosis and try not to see that end up skyrocketing because of our attention that's drawn or diverted to the COVID-19 pandemic? It's a great question. Obviously, uh, getting this pandemic under control quickly is the best thing we could do, right? We all want to get out of this mess. And doing that quickly, getting the COVID vaccines into the arms of as many people around the planet as possible quickly should be a high, high priority in 2021. And if it requires lockdowns again, if it requires additional capacity in hospitals, we got to do what it takes. But the rebuilding part of disrupted health services is going to take us, I think, years, if not decades, right? So my biggest anxiety is most countries, especially poorer countries, have very limited health budgets. Uh, I'm not talking about what's happening here in Canada, right? I'm talking about many, many countries where already they were spending so little per capita GDP on health and they've already now exhaust all of that budget on COVID that they're going to do even a more poorer job of managing TB, AIDS and malaria in the coming years. And all of these countries are suffering economically. I mean, the whole world is in recession, Mm, right? mm -hmm. It's not just any one country. The entire world is in the biggest recession since World War II. So I'm worried that everybody will see this as a zero-sum game. In other words, if I spent money on COVID, then I don't have money for TB. I don't have money for AIDS. That, to me, is a logic that I'm simply unwilling to accept. Health is not a zero-sum game, right? Imagine if I had 
um, TB, but I also had diabetes. Are you going to only treat my diabetes and not my TB? Are you only going to treat my TB and not my diabetes? People have complex health problems and we got to put resources behind all the major health problems. And so investing in universal health coverage and strengthening health systems, all aspects of health system is one of the best investments I think any country can make. I'm hoping that's one of the lessons for all countries in this pandemic, that without health, there is no wealth. Without health, economy makes no Mm -hmm. sense. Mm -hmm. And investing in health is maximum return for money or value for investment, right? Because yeah. once you once you have a robust health system, then the next pandemic, whenever that comes, will be easier to deal with, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah. if you don't have a functioning health system, we are very lucky in Canada for all our uh, you know criticisms of our health system. You, you and I are very privileged because we live in a country where health is a fundamental human right, where there is a universal health coverage system. But there are many, many countries where it is simply not the case. Yeah. So I'm hoping all governments and politicians in the world have learned their lesson that invest in health, take money away from defense or other things, but put it in health because without health, there is nothing that is feasible in the, in the coming years. Yeah. It, just, it just makes me think of like, <clears throat> I, I, I'm hopeful that the lessons that we learn from this will be greater than the damage done by the virus itself. And, and like you said, I I think I hope that all politicians, all people involved in public health care and, and the systems around the world that, that prioritize health. I hope that they, they take that away from this. Yeah. I think that's probably the, one of the biggest fears, right? Is that you, is that, you know, the vaccination of, of COVID sort of sweeps across our country and many other countries and, you know, we sort of dust our hands clean of, of this and move on as if, you know, this won't happen again or the, 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 the tragedy that, that the, the down, the downstream tragedy of what we're talking about, um, today with TB and malaria and HIV, you know, that that doesn't continue and that we are set up, you know, I was listening to something this morning and it was, you know, this is a public health crisis first, it's an economic crisis second, and it's a political crisis third. And the, and so everything is downstream from the public health aspect of it. And the, the solution to the economic and the political crisis that we're facing does not fit, get fixed until the, the public health crisis is fixed. Well, it's wonderful, like, I, I, wonderful way of saying it. Yeah, I actually saw a very striking cartoon by a Canadian cartoonist, Graham McKay, who, uh, works with the Hamilton Spectator, where he shows like a small uh, city with one tsunami hitting it. And that first tsunami is COVID-19. And then we think that, okay, we're going to get this under control. And right behind it is a second wave of the tsunami. And that is a disruption of all other health services that we have figured out. And right behind it is the recession tsunami, right? Mm. The world is in the biggest, deepest recession since World War II. And then behind all of them, there is another big tsunami waiting to come. That's climate change. Because let's not forget, climate crisis is not gone away anywhere, right? No disease is taking a break just because there's COVID. And climate change is not taking a break because there is COVID. So we have a lot of rebuilding work in the, in the coming years and requires tremendous global solidarity. Because none of these problems 
are within the realm of any one country to solve, let alone one province or one city. It's just a pipe dream to think that we can somehow micro solve problems in our own backyards and, and all of us will be fine. It doesn't work like that. These tsunamis are not uh, amenable to individual countries or, or cities or provinces. But I think that's a beautiful thing of like, if, if you can say it that way, like the beautiful thing of, of the way that we've responded to COVID-19 as a global population gives me hope. Like I could never imagine solving the climate crisis before COVID-19. But now that I've seen the way that collectively we responded, I, I'm hopeful. Like I, mm. I believe that we can actually address those problems on a, on a mass scale. Like I didn't think was yeah. possible before. I mean, if climate, I'm, I'm impressed if, that you kind of feel hopeful because I have been using this as the exact opposite example of what you said. Really? Because I find the world to be very disunited today. Mm. We, our politicians have failed. In most countries, politicians have failed and failed miserably. And we see such vaccine nationalism right now where the richest countries have gobbled up all the vaccine supplies and poor countries have been left with very little mm. We see, uh, you know, Brexit, you know, we see America going into a spiral. I just don't see any leadership in this global mm. uh, pandemic. So, you know, people threatening to leave WHO, it's been complete chaos. So if you say, what does our report card look like for the world in managing COVID crisis? I would probably say, uh, give it an F right now. Mm -hmm. So if you tell me that, We'll do better than this in climate crisis as a, as a globe. I would need to be convinced about that because everybody retracts to our, our tribal instincts of just us, just our mask, our vaccine, yeah. our homes, our toilet paper. We need to hold all the supplies. Mm -hmm. This is the display of our naked ambition and nationalism we've seen every single damn country, can including you, Canada. Can so how do you convince me that this is going to be different in climate tackling climate crisis. What is vaccine nationalism? I've, this is the first time I've heard someone say that. Can you, can you, can you unpack There are that? many, many terms for this. One is called vaccine nationalism and the opposite of this is vaccine apartheid, where vaccines mm. are simply not made available to a whole bunch of countries. Just this morning, I saw a striking map uh, in Bloomberg on the global vaccine map, right? You see uh, the top northern hemisphere is all lighting up. Right, mm. Because vaccines are being delivered, right? The southern hemisphere, nothing, nothing, not mm. even a blip on the map. So here is the actual data. US, Canada, UK and Euro European Union have pre-ordered enough COVID shots to inoculate their population several times over. That is the amount of vaccines that we have uh, mm. purchased or pre-ordered. So we essentially blocked all the supplies. And Canada is a particular outlier we seems to have ordered five times more than the number of Canadians that we need to vaccine uh, vaccinate at this point. So we've kind of stocked up or pre-ordered and 42 countries right now have uh, started vaccine campaigns for COVID-19. 25 million doses have been given so far. And guess what? 36 out of them are high income countries and six of them are middle income countries, countries mm -hmm. like, you know, Middle East, so on and so forth. Practically mm -hmm. zero vaccination is happening in low-income countries. Mm -hmm. New York Times wrote a piece that the richest countries have cleared the shelves, right? We've gone and pretty much put everything into our basket 
and walked away with it, leaving this very inequitable distribution of vaccination. So to me, this is vaccine nationalism, something that WHO has been warning for many, many months that has come true. Mm. We just don't, we've forgotten that there are many, many countries that need assistance. Is there like a regulating body that, that like, like can someone like the WHO step in and, and do something about that or, or is, or is this just like a sort of uh, a situation we've found ourselves in because we've never really been here in recent time and haven't, haven't been in need of a vaccination that has that needs to be distributed across you know whatever 7.5 billion people or whatever the population of the earth is right now so so i think the world has lacked leadership during this crisis typically or traditionally united states has been a massive leader in global health but the trump administration has simply shattered that uh, reputation, right? Right now, America's reputation as a global leader is in the negative, if that is even imaginable, right? Mm-hmm. So there is no global leadership. And and countries have been very angry and upset with the World Health Organization, thinking that WHO has taken China's side. US has already begun withdrawing from the WHO, that the Biden-Harris uh, administration has agreed to rejoin WHO on the day the Biden-Harris administration takes over. But it's been absolutely chaotic. So WHO did create something called the COVAX facility. And they told all countries, you pull in the resources and you buy and purchase on COVAX and we will um, uh, equitably allocate the vaccine. Turns out that the richest countries did not agree to this COVAX. They went and directly cut deals with the mm-hmm. Pfizer, with Moderna, with mm-hmm. all the companies, and they have pretty much bought up everything. So the COVAX facility has very little vaccines right now to give to the poorer countries. So even with all the planning that went in, we are left with a very, very lopsided vaccine distribution globally right now. I, I hear what It's fascinating you're... to me about, um, it's fascinating to me that there, that this is ultimately the, such a common, such a common thread through um, through developed countries to have this, especially since developed countries are the ones that have the 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 highest amount of publicly traded companies that depend that depend on such massive global supply chains, and and the economic fallout from um, COVID has been so so intense. I mean, it is at the center of every of every argument there is about about um, quarantine and restrictions and masks and whether businesses and restaurants and everything that should be closed, it's always, it's always economic. I mean, the, 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 the pushback on any public health restriction that gets put in place is an economic argument and global supply chains are so, so important to, to, to everything. I, I, if it's fascinating to me that there is this hoarding of vaccination when, there are there are clearly supply chains that are being massively disrupted because of a, a lack of, a va- of of access to the vaccine somewhere else in the world that all these American and Canadian and you know British companies and countries all over the world depend on to 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 make their profits and and bolster the economy. It's 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 blown my mind since I since this reached my attention that i mean i it came up first i think trump said trump made some comment about you know we're not going to be sending 
threatened Pfizer to not send uh, vaccines to other countries, and you know, it just it just it just blows your mind um, in a in a in an economy that's so global to um, to have that frame of mind. Well, just it falls into his same thing, right? Make America great again. Mm. Make Canada great again. <laughs> make UK great again. Every country has found a way to look inwards during this pandemic. We were all closed our borders. We've all retreated into our our basic tribal selves. And it's all, you know, it's like a, it's like a hunger games mm-hmm. around, uh, mm-hmm. around COVID now. It's literally a hunger games. And poorer countries are all looking at this and saying, what the hell is going on? You, you, you declare that we are all in this together. You say all the right things in press meetings, right? The pandemic is, is nobody is safe until everybody's safe is another common uh, phrase that is thrown around. But if you believe in that, you got to show it in the way you act, right? You got to show in continuing foreign development assistance, in making sure WHO COVAX facility is well funded and they have vaccines. But but in in behavior, we have uh, we have betrayed all those honest intentions that we may have thrown around. I mean, Trump for all its problems, at least he's not two faced. He tells you whatever crazy ideas he has, and he sticks to it. But there are many other countries which are very polished say all the right things, but fail to actually do things when it comes to money, when it comes to actually changing their uh, policies. Mm-hmm. Is there, is there, I mean, you know, so we've been talking a lot about the, the, uh, the obvious damage and negatives that have come from uh, the, the times that we find ourselves in. Is there, is there something in 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 the name of feel good friday episodes uh which which this is falling into is there something is there is there positives that have come out of this in terms of like a a world health um uh perspective like has have we you know we are talking about how there's a, there's there's this uh sort of uh this attitude where we're going inwards and be, and becoming sort of uh, you know falling into our, our our base tribal instincts but are is there are we learning something for, is there something to come from that are we learning are we at least learning something that will be of value in the in the coming years potentially if we make the right decisions i think um, there are a few bright spots in this uh, abysmal uh, past year that we've had one is, um, you know, if I were to have a report card for politicians, I would probably give them a failing grade. Most of them have done disastrously. Um, but if I were to give a grade for scientists, especially those who developed a vaccines, a whole bunch of vaccines mm. and trial them and put them out on the market within a 10-month period, I think science deserves a very high grade on, on my report card. In other words, collaborative science, rapid science, rapid trials uh, and approvals that have already happened with three vaccines is a miracle. Nothing short of a miracle. It has never, ever happened in the history of humanity to see this level of effort Mm. to get stuff done. And it gave us one of the only hopeful moments as the the last year and miserable year uh, ended. So, So collaborative science, I would say a huge win. So which means... If we can solve COVID-19 through science, there is no reason why we couldn't have solved TB. Mm. There's no reason why we couldn't have solved Mm. malaria. 
there's no reason why we couldn't have solved HIV AIDS mm. or many other problems that primarily affect low and middle income countries. I think the bigger problem for me is not science. It's our willingness to invest in getting stuff done and getting things moving faster. So I think all of us have learned mm. that we could work much faster than we wanted mm. to. If you wanted to approve a vaccine, we can convene a committee in two days and get it out the next day, right? FDA approvals have moved at a rocket speed that nobody's even heard of, right? All the normal bureaucracy and red tape can be cut through if necessary. So I think that's that to me is a positive. I was hoping against hope that this pandemic will show us the importance of global solidarity and make us wake up uh, to, to our collective shared our destinies, our responsibilities, that we are all humans on this planet, we are all in this crowded planet, that we got to all kind of watch out for each other, that we cannot possibly solve some things on our own. Mm. But I'm really saddened by this uh, growing inequities in, in vaccines because I was worried about it, but to now see it on maps every day um, makes me very nervous about why we are for- forgetting that things like pandemics cannot be solved by one country. Even if we manage to vaccinate all Canadians, mm. just think about it for a second. Will we be safe? Right? Are we going to keep our borders closed forever? Uh, do we not believe in global trade? Do we not have Canadians going and people coming in? Will we stop immigration? I mean, we got to think about other countries too. So I'm hoping against hope that uh, rich countries like Canada will not forget our obligations for humanitarian work. And also there is a self-enlightened self-interest, right? If the world is safer, then we are all safer. There is a global health security um, justification for investing in in foreign uh, aid, for investing in uh, COVAX facility, for investing in WHO, for, for just doing humanitarian work, which Canada is known for, but I'd like to see us do more and not cut back just because there's a economic crisis here. Yeah, um, Dr. Pai, I think you really, you know, when I was talking about being hopeful because of COVID-19, I think you really uh, put a damper on that for me. I I think I'm seeing, and and you're sort of waking me up to the fact that there is a lot of problems, um, and, and especially with the political response to COVID-19. Mm. However, I still like I'm inherently optimistic and and when you talk about the scientists and the collaborative effort ac- across the globe, it's not like we haven't seen this before with climate change because I think that the scientific community community resoundingly agrees that climate change is a problem we need to resolve and it's the politicians that need to get on board with uh, mm. helping us to resolve it. So you know, even though I there's there's this damper on that, I think the the urgency to respond to COVID nineteen, even though we sort of are fucking it up politically right now, I think that I, I like to believe that we can learn from our mistakes, and it's people like you who are highlighting them and helping us bring these mm-hmm. conversations to the forefront that makes me hopeful that we'll see yeah. positive change. I think the reason why you folks might be more hopeful than I am is that you are young. And Mm -hmm. I mean this in a very positive way. Every time you find that the older politicians, mostly old men who run the world right now, old white men, if you want me to be even more specific, Mm -hmm. they are incapable of enacting change. Why is that? 
because they have benefited so much from inequalities, right? They've all traded and, 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 and given up their moral fiber and they made all sorts of deals to succeed in their lives. And they're so set in their ways, they cannot see beyond their next election term. They mm. just cannot, they will not. Their job is to maintain status quo, continue fossil fuels, do all of the bullshit stuff that they've been doing for decades. Change will not come from them. Mm. That's why somebody like Greta Thunberg managed to inspire millions of us, especially the youngest people to take to the streets. Why? Because young people can see with great clarity that their future is being risked. Mm -hmm. They are feeling threatened while the old white men simply do not see a threat to them, right? They cannot see their vision. Their, their, their horizon is much smaller. Their vision is much narrower, just like gun control in America. Not a single politician in America has prevented the slaughter of innocent children in schools. Mm. Not one. Because all of them get buying, taking money from the gun industry. How would you expect change to come from them, right? They have no ability to separate conflicts of interest from the right thing that needs to be done. Mm -hmm. Again, it's the young people who are taking to the streets and demanding gun control. To me, inequality will not be solved by those in power, those who are elite and those who are the oldest uh, leaders because they are just simply incapable of understanding what needs to be done. The pressure has to come from below. People power is the most important way and young people to me are the leaders in this crisis. Mm. So to me, if, I, if we could even allow young people to be in leadership roles, we will see a change faster than anything that we've seen before. Just put young people in charge, let them loose, trust them to do the right thing. They are capable of solving problems while the older ones will not. I think uh, to me, the future is, is the youth and uh, I don't belong in that uh, group, but I am 100% convinced that that is the group that's going to make some ridiculously important changes, literally save the, save the world if you wish. Mm-hmm. I like to think that we're championing... Uh, a new group of future old white men that are more mm-hmm. empathetic and compassionate. We need more women. We need more women. Have you, I mean, have you seen women, women leaders have done spectacularly better than uh, men leaders? I, I, meant, I, was speaking, I was speaking as men ourselves, but yes, more <laughs> women, more uh, trans, everybody. And <laughs> people of color, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. need that. Look at racism. You think any 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 of these uh, white men in power will do anything about racism? They will not. They're incapable of it. They simply do not understand what it means to be racialized. They have no lived experience. They don't know what oppression means and they will not change. So pressure has to come from a diverse set of people from, from underneath. And I, I'm hopeful that, that this will happen. Mm. Well, like I said, uh, sometimes these Feel Good Friday episodes turn into a very much needed Real Talk Friday episodes. And this was uh, some uh, some valuable Real Talk from Dr. Pai. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day today to talk about these important issues and to, you know, to to just 
to really shake Brian up and and shake Brian out of his out of his uh, eternal optimism uh, because it's it's sickening to be take, to be honest with you. I'm, take I'm off tired my of blinders. it. I'm tired of it. And uh, and and come over to the come over to the dark pessimistic side, Brian, because it's uh, it's a lot it's hopeful more for science, pessimistic <laughs> for politics. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, and you need young people in yeah, charge. That's right. Let's end on that very yeah. optimistic note. Yeah, no young have, people yeah, take right. over that's every right. aspect of politics and and science. <laughs> the better off I think we're all. Yeah. Uh, Doctor Pi, thank you. This has been really fun. Thank you so much. Fantastic. Have a good one. Thank Stay you. Stay safe. Bye. All right, there you go, uh, Doctor Madhu Karpai. Uh, again, like I said, a little bit of real talk, kind mm-hmm. of a you know. I mean, I don't want to say kind of a bummer because it's like it's just it's not a bummer. It's just reality. But yeah, uh, he really he bursted my optimism. Oh, he, he did. <laughs> he, he, <laughs> yeah. he sure did. He saw yeah. that bubble growing. He just pulled out a little pin and went, "Hey, Brian, you know what? I see what he was saying, <laughs> though. Like I, I, I get it. I it was it was nice to." have that perspective mm. shared with me because I think that, you know, as an inherent optimist, it's nice to like get a slice of that real talk every once in a while. But, you know, I'm glad that that conversation's over now. Now I can go back to sure just Dr. You know, being will optimistic. Really... <laughs> I, I can just start ignoring reality. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not ignoring reality, guys. Being optimistic. Dude, I hear you, bro. Um, yeah. Well, bro, man. folks, uh, <laughs> we hope you enjoyed that. And uh, and hey, if you did, we will be back uh, right after the weekend on Monday. And uh, and every Monday and Friday, you can catch us here, wherever here is for you, whether that's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, CBC Listen app, or any of the other crazy amounts of apps that exist that just aggregate podcasts. So many apps. It's just totally bonkers so uh we'll be back next monday and friday and every monday and friday beyond and if you have any fan mail that you would like us to read on the podcast um i could read it brian could read it lauren could read it jeremy could read it someone will read it and you can send that to letters at sickboypodcast.com or if you want to be one of our amazing guests somebody who's got something uh you know that you've lived with your entire life something that's come up you've been injured real bad this isn't a personal injury uh law firm <laughs> commercial um call 1-800 uh, hurt real bad um you can send that to uh sick boy podcast you can apply to be a guest on the show sickboypodcast.com slash contact fill it out send it in we read them all maybe we'll have you on the show and a huge thank you to the people who make this show happen from the bottom of my heart i'd like to thank lauren sankey I'd like to thank Jeremy Saunders. I would like to thank Taylor McGilvery. And most of all, I would like to thank myself. I'd also okay. like to thank most Jeff Lonis. And I would like to thank Rich O'Coin, who does the theme music for these Feel Good Friday episodes. My man. I'm just super thankful for all the My people man. involved with putting together this show. But I think that most of all, most, most of all, I would like to thank the lovely listeners or you whoever's listening to this right now, because if you weren't listening, we would probably stop making this show. That is it for this week. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor, babe. I'm Lauren. 
<laughs> and I'm Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy. That made my penis hurt oh, a bit. God, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, why? why did that make me Wait, come? why? For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.